Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all the film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome in. Kind of a busy week for mid-January in the movie theaters. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With its 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby, Atmos surround sound, and Dream Lounge recliners. We've got one movie this week that demands a big screen, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. We'll start out with a comedic look at the relationship between a wealthy man with quadriplegia and an unemployed man with a criminal record who's hired to help him. It's the upside. You need to prove you're looking for work. I've been looking, trust me. Three signatures by tomorrow, or you can tell it to the judge. Penthouse. You need to wait your turn. Relax, it's not a holdup. Just sign this one, please. How would I sign it? I don't know. Slowly. Wait, don't your arms work? They don't. You can move your mouth. As can you. I need assistance. How much does it pay? Hell yeah, man. You are not qualified for this position. Have you ever changed a catheter? No. Pinch the head, insert. Mm. I can't feel it. Oh, well, I can. Now, this one is a remake of a 2011 film called The Intouchables that was incredibly popular overseas. It's one yeah, of the it's a French film. French film, and it still, I think, today holds the record for being the most popular French film in several countries. Like, Germany mm. is one incredibly popular movie. And I remember seeing it when it came out, and it's it's okay. It's, it's kind of like this one is. This, this uh, remake is. Um, it's a movie that is so predictable, so you know, pulling certain strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one, I think, is really helped out by the two leads. Oh, well, and, and Nicole Kidman as well. Kevin Hart in, in really one of his best performances that you're going to find because there's more meat to it than you would normally find in a Kevin Hart movie. And then, of course, Brian Cranston, who's always amazing. Yeah, Brian Cranston plays the, uh, the wealthy white man who uh, liked to race cars and he has an accident and he becomes a quadriplegic and he ends up hiring a man from the other side of the tracks, the projects, um, black man, Kevin Hart plays. And uh, this was actually too, it's based on a true story. Right. Uh, but uh, so, you know, right away you're thinking, okay, does the wealthy white man and the uh, poor black man, are they going to find common ground? Are they going to teach each other a little something about life and about seeing from the other person's point of view? Yes, yes, I think they are. And, uh, you know, the, the point is, how do you get there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the original was got there by just being so populist. I mean, it went straight for the, the common, you know, crowd-pleasing denominator without trying to get really much depth. Right. And this movie doesn't break from that much, but it does have two great lead performances and Nicole Kidman whose side side Honestly, part yeah, is a little tacked it, it, on it is but, but but she's just always a welcome presence she is yeah and uh, and she does a nice job with with what she does have yeah and i think you're right about kevin hart because as we said for a while we think he's very funny very talented but right. he hasn't been able even when he's been in charge. Well, actually, uh, to, I think almost more often when he's been in charge. To, to find something that really shows, brings out his the most uh, of what he can do on screen. And this one, like you said, it has a little more, more meat to it. Yeah. It also has some funny parts. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. It is It is to a degree a comedy, but it's not, I mean, it's not a Kevin Hart comedy. Yeah. It's, right? It doesn't just lean on him to make funny faces right. and fall over and do some physical no, comedy. No, I mean, they ask him to create a full character, and he does. And I think that's an interesting thing to just, you know, recognize in this is that it does show that Kevin Hart can act. Yeah, exactly. And we know Brian Cranston can. Obviously. Yeah. And they have... Uh, 
you know, they have some nice chemistry. So it, it's going to be one of those that is a, a, a straight crowd pleaser. That's what it's it's trying to be. And uh, you can you can guess how it's probably going to go from the jump, as you could from the original. But still, I think it's, you know, at what it sets out to do. I'm not so sure it really set out to do anything more than that, to be no, honest with you. No, no. Uh, and uh, so it's probably, I don't know how it's going to do here. I mean, it's probably not going to be any record breaker like it was uh, in France. But uh, it's it's one that, I'll be honest, I've wondered... It's only been, what, seven, eight years since the original. I, I would have thought they would have had a, a remake before now. Yeah, me too. Um, I was waiting. Yeah, because I think it might have been one that's been in maybe floating around in production or in limbo or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when it was so popular, uh, when the uh, French film came out, and I remember seeing it at the time and thinking, well, this is just tailor-made. I can see this right oh, sure. now. Absolutely. Be being made for... Uh, it for... seems like an American film. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of does. does. It kind of does, because uh, it's... You know, it's got good intentions. It's all want to be feely good uh, kind of a movie. And a lot of people are going to really enjoy it, I think. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't have a lot of depth to no. it. Um, you can guess where it's going, but you can enjoy a couple of good uh, couple of good lead performances and a supporting performance from Nicole Kidman in The Upside. Next up is one that's been out uh, for a few weeks in limited release, so it could qualify for the Oscars this year. And now getting a wide release. It's the story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her struggles for equal rights, and what she had to overcome in order to become a U.S. Supreme Court justice on the basis of sex. There are 178 laws that differentiate on the basis of sex. Women can work overtime. We have to get credit cards in our husband's name. We're not allowed to work in Something This is you think you can change the country? You should look to her generation. They're taking to the streets. Protests are important, but changing the culture means nothing if the law doesn't change. What did you say your name was? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I want to be a lawyer. I want to represent clients in pursuit of justice. So they're going to give you a corner office? I wasn't what they were looking for. One said women are too emotional to be lawyers. Another told me a woman graduating top of her class must be a real ball buster. The word woman does not appear even once in the U.S. Constitution. Nor does the word freedom, Your Honor. I think this is a, a, a something worth mentioning because Felicity Jones plays RBG. And you may be saying to yourself, well, that's uh, that's generous. But the <laughs> truth is, a friend of ours carries around in his wallet a photo of Ruth as a youngst. She was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, he likes to uh, do this in bars, pull it out. He did it to us. Um, have a few cold ones and then just try to challenge her. He throws this snapshot in your face and says, who is this? Yeah. And most of the time, people don't know. No. We didn't know. No. And it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so you're right. That's a good point. And Felicity Jones, she's really good. She's really terrific in the lead. It's a movie written by, it's a first-time screenwriter named Daniel Steepleman. And he's also RBG's nephew. So you might think... Is this going to be a little too hero worshipy? Now let's let's cut him some slack. She deserves to be worshipped. Oh, I my. mean, she's a hero to be worshipped. But Ex exactly right. But yes, he's a he's a very interested party. In fact, if we were in court, he might be described as a hostile witness. You know, <laughs> a very interested party. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we've already seen well earlier this year, earlier last, last year, year, I last should year. say, uh, an Oscar contending documentary. Mm -hmm. RBG came mm -hmm. out. I hope it is nominated for an Oscar because it's very good. Uh, now you get the the narrative fictional treatment, and yeah, it's a bit too hero worshipy. I think, regardless of, I mean, it's very sincere, it's very competent, 
perfectly put together. The performances are good, not only for Felicity Jones, but Army Hammer plays um, her husband, Marty. Marty, sure. And he's always good. He is. And then you've got just... Although, a, here's the thing I got to... There's no way her husband is as good looking as Army <laughs> Hammer, because no one is. Well, apo- with apologies to Marty, <laughs> no, he was not. He was not. But... And you've got Justin Theroux and Sam Waterston, and and you know it's it's a nice ensemble, and everything is is really well put together. But you're right, there's there's too much hero worship about it. Now, also the other thing, I it's think a little superficial. A little superficial, and what we've talked about before with some of these biographies, usually they work better when they tighten the focus. Yeah. You know, try don't try to tell the entire life story. Tight, right. Tighten the focus yeah. a little bit. And this movie works best when it is a tighter focus and gets down to the really fascinating nuts and bolts of the very first case that she argued in court, the first gender discrimination case that she argued in court. Ended up being a landmark decision. Right, it right. Was, I think it was Moritz versus the IRS, mm-hmm. basically. And she argued it with Marty. And so right there, it gives the screenwriter... Uh, her nephew, a very easy way to mix both the personal and the the policy, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's totally understandable. But because I think it does bite off a little bit more than it should, it you end up getting you don't get the sense that she was a real person, right? You know, and that's because uh, I totally agree with you. She totally deserves this hero worship. But if you're going to tell the story before she reached this. Yeah, where spot. she is today, right? Yeah, because when it does address these these uh, discriminations that she faced coming up as a woman, you don't they don't really feel that real because the movie's still treating her like the superwoman she is today, right? And that that they're more than are they more than just annoyances? It, right. it, it kind of still is basking in that glow, and it just can't get beyond the fact that we we love her, right? Right. right. <laughs> um, so it's I mean it still has some stirring moments. In fact, when it gets to those final arguments in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really want to know is that I was trying to look this up. I couldn't really find it. If they took that argument right from her, my Lord. I mean, we knew she was brilliant, but wow. Uh, it's, it's pretty stirring. And, and Felicity Jones does a a good, um, does it justice. And then it leads to another little final shot. I'm not going to give away, but it's very cheer worthy toward the very, very end. I'll tell you that. So it does a good bit right. It's totally fine. Nothing, you know, to really slam about it. It's just, it's missing the, 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 the edges that make her a real person. Sure. Maybe it's understandable because it was written by her nephew. <laughs> I mean, but that doesn't make it acceptable. It really doesn't. No. It doesn't make it a better movie, you know. No. But it's but it's going to be crowd pleasing, and there's a lot to like in on the basis of sex. Let's get all science fictiony next for the story of a scientist becoming obsessed with bringing back his family members who died in a traffic accident. It's called Replicas. William, something's not right with me. Tell me the truth. There was a crash. You and the kids died. I brought you back. There is a reason human cloning is banned. I'm dead. We stole millions of dollars worth of bionite equipment. I hope you're ready to go to jail. Those three subjects are our property. I didn't defy every natural law there is just to lose you again. How could you do this? Because I love you. Oh my God, replicas. Let's say this before we even start. Keanu Reeves seems to be a really good dude. He does. He seems like a very nice man. He seems to be a very nice, cool guy. Yep. But you know what? 
Don't ask and, him to emote. No. And and the thing also, um, obviously, he's he's got the very popular John Wick series where he he basically plays a hollowed out human being. Right. And so perfect for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and but surprising to us, he's done a couple of really solid supporting turns in the last couple of years in the, Neon Demon. Neon, neon Demon. And, and, and in also the Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. Right. So he can act, but in small doses and in sort of quirky characters that aren't asked to carry a film. This is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Not necessarily in uh, the role of a genius scientist who's lost his whole family and who has to oscillate between making these epic moral choices and and then devastating grief. These are this is this is not like a scale he's meant to be on. Yeah, and not only to do all this within a movie that is has ridiculous plot holes and ends up bringing up these big ethical questions and then just shrugging its shoulders at them. Uh, literally. So at one point, his wife, who's played by Alice Eve, who does a very good job, uh, she she throws kind of one of these things that you know the, this cloning issue at him, and he just sorry. He shrugs his shoulders and says sorry, and then that's. All the attention that the film pays to it. And it's funny, though, it's it's almost as if, in a certain way, his abominable performance, in a way, works for the film because it's so bad, you sort of lose track of the gaping plot holes that, that you could just easily fall into. I mean, it's, it's a stunningly bad film. Um, and it's funny because I saw, just before it started, I saw the trailer for Pet Cemetery. So right away, I'm yeah. thinking to myself, kind you know, sometimes dead is better. Uh-huh. But then, it, but then halfway through the movie, I realize that phrase really worked better in thinking of myself. <laughs> I, uh, I partway through the film, I think I may have lost the will to live. Yeah, it's just, it's just bad. It's just bad. Yeah, he, he's a scientist who's working on a way to bring consciousness of fallen soldiers to be put into robots. Because surely that's what they would want. Don't let me die. Just put me into a robot body. Yeah, but then there are complications with that, and then there's another project being worked on down the hall about cloning. Right. And then there's some double crosses, and yeah, he's got to bring his family back, and oh, I've got to do this to make it work. And there's some choices to be made and some morals to be questioned. And by the end, you're like, wait, but what about? Nope, don't think what about. Let's just keep moving. Uh, Um, I do want to give it credit for this. Uh, cloning movies going all the way back to Frankenstein, right? The heart of those films tends to be a finger wagging towards science, mm-hmm. right? Like, how dare you? You don't, don't mess. Right? Don't play God. And and I got to give the film credit is that that's not. In fact, it, it brings it up. It doesn't handle it particularly well, but that, <laughs> that is not what it's doing. And so I, I want to give it credit for that at least moment of subversiveness. And that's, I think, maybe the only thing I can credit it with. Yeah, I have a feeling this is going to uh, fade away quite quickly. Not very impressed. No recommendation at all for replicas. Next is the latest movie adaptation of a dog book from W. Bruce Cameron. It's a story of a dog traveling 400 miles in search of her owner, A Dog's Way Home. And this is how I met Lucas. <laughs> she does seem to really like you. Maybe that's a sign her home's supposed to be with me. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. We're together. There's a dog. It looks like she needs help. I can't tell where the journey <laughs> I was very far from but home, I but I knew Lucas was waiting for me, and I had to go and find him. So wake me up when it's all over. We all face things that are hard. 
The only thing that gets us through it are the special people in our lives. And I was never going to stop searching until I found mine. I didn't realize this, but but this guy, that's just what he does. He just writes books from a dog's point of view. Well, I think that's what he does now. I'm not sure that's what he's always done. Uh, just about a year ago, last January, we had the... Uh, oh, the sledgehammer schmaltz of a dog's purpose. Yeah, I remember how much you like that one. Oh man! And you know what? And you've got because at first you might think this is a sequel to that. No, there is a sequel, a dog's purpose too. In fact, I saw the trailer before I saw this movie, so that's coming. But uh, no, this is just the latest adaptation of 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 his uh, one of his dog stories. And the big change here, I think, from A Dog's Purpose is it's directed. This one's directed by uh, Charles Martin Smith, who was a longtime actor before. He played the short guy in The Untouchables. Mm -hmm. um, and then he, he's been a director for a while. And he did or the, the accountant. The accountant, yeah. <laughs> he did the two. He did the two Dolphin Tale movies, right. which are fine family films. Exactly. So I think right away I'm going to give him credit for looking at this and saying, you know what, this is only going to work if it's aimed right at young kids. Mm -hmm. And, and that's why it's it's not nearly as painful to endure as a dog's purpose because you can just think of it as <laughs> Bryce Dallas Howard reading your child a picture book for ninety minutes. That's pretty much what it is because again we've got she she voices the dog Bella, and again we've got a dog over explaining everything that's going on you know from the moment we meet the dog and it's adopted the dog is adopted into a into a home, and then apparently it teaches us about these weird dog laws in Denver, Colorado. I'm assuming this is somewhat based in truth, but they're weird and outdated. Uh, but anyway, the dog... Get with it, Denver, Colorado. Yeah, Denver. You know what? I think we came away from the film knowing we're opposed to Denver's dog laws. Yeah, but I mean, Colorado's got the weed. They got the weed going. So let's just <laughs> chill out. That's you know? right. <laughs> and relax and, and, and take another look at these dog laws. But anyway... So the dog, Bella, runs afoul of these uh, laws, and while the owners are sorted out, it's taken to live with some friends in New Mexico. But the dog gets homesick and does a backyard jailbreak and takes off for all these 400 miles back home. And then you've got all these adventures the dog is getting in along the way and, and all the people and animals that she meets. Some mean people, some good people, some nice animals that might be CGI animals. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for you kids, but all right. <laughs> And so, and so you have that. It's 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 an adventure, but you know everything again is painted with the widest possible brush, so easy for the young ones to understand. And and again, um, explained and explained again. But you know what? What's really nice here is that it manages to get a, a few teachable moments in very subtly mm -hmm. about some serious subjects like homelessness, right? Like the problems with uh, veterans that have come back from battle, like same sex couples. I'm like, what? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and diversity and, right. and uh, multiracial couples. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm like, okay. Uh, because you're going to have your child, you know, watch this with you and then they'll, they'll see these things and it looks just like, okay, that's nothing unusual exactly. here. Or maybe it might spark a conversation right. with your family. So I give it points for that. It's still, it's just incredibly melodramatic. And it, boy, it's going right for, you know, pulling as many strings as it can to try to get you to tear up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you're a dog lover, you probably will. <laughs> but it's much, much better than the uh, the painfulness of a dog's purpose. And I'm... <laughs> I'm not looking forward to a dog's purpose, too, but <laughs> but it's coming. So, uh, yeah, I would say A Dog's Way Home, you know, mainly for the young kids, and it won't be really 
so bad for you to sit through, and the kids will probably like it. Next up is a film based on Argentina's most notorious serial killer, and he had a baby face, so it's called El Angel. There is something just mesmerizing about this movie. Uh, 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 Luis Ortega directed it, and, it, you know, the look is amazing. The sound is amazing. The song choice is amazing. And the the main character is, and, and you know, if, I mean, if you look him up, he really does look like the uh, serial killer that he plays. He's just a, a very young looking, but he's still a high school kid who begins as just somebody who likes to break into people's houses and just kind of hang out, drink their drinks, mm -hmm. try on their clothes, just, you know, make himself comfortable. And then he kind of falls in with uh, a rougher element in high school. And then uh, and then they go, they, you know, begin more of a, a dangerous spree. And I think that the movie itself is interested in sort of exploring why we are fascinated with, why we like the bad guy. Yeah. And I think that if that's all you know about it, it works really well. It works really, really well. And I think that it's also very interesting, sort of the sexual ambiguity of the film, because the whole everything about the movie is about longing, sort of living the moment you're in. And it's a very sensual experience, everything about the film. And so I love the way that sort of the sexuality is explored in this movie. And again, everything about the way it's shot it looks so great. It's really a very hypnotic film. And I think my only personal issue with it is that it, it does sort of whitewash the crimes themselves because this man was also a kidnapper and a rapist and he shot at an infant. Mm. So, it you yeah. know, and that those things don't happen in this because it's very hard to continue to like a guy. Uh, and so it's more like, I mean, he still does bad things. Certainly he kills a lot of people. It's a little troubling. The way uh, Ortega, he's mythologizing a real figure in a way that sort of seduces you. On the other hand, that doesn't affect the film itself. As a film on its own is really, it's very, very impressive and fascinating from beginning to end. And the lead uh, actor, Lorenzo Faro. It's his first film. Yeah, that's amazing. It is amazing because he shoulders it, man. He carries the whole thing. The whole cast is impressive, but yeah, he absolutely owns this movie. Yeah, so very interesting one coming out, probably in limited release this week, El Angel. Before we get to the last one, we do want to mention one that we've talked about a few weeks ago, we like very much, is getting a limited release, re-release, probably for Oscar consideration, mm -hmm. in IMAX. Yes. It's called Free Solo. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. About a free climber, and by free climbing, I mean without any ropes or protection, any kind of uh, harnesses or anything. He's insane. Exactly. <laughs> But this is one that, yeah, if you can see it in your area on an IMAX screen, I'll tell you Prepare what. Prepare to have heart palpitations. No kidding, because I fully expect it to be nom nominated for an Oscar for documentary this year. So that's out in some uh, limited uh, IMAX theaters this week. And one more opening in a limited release, the story of an overachieving college student getting lost on her way to a job interview, taking a wrong turn, leaving her stranded deep in the Kentucky forest. Uh-oh. It's called Rust Creek. You need some help there, miss? I was on my way to D.C., these woods, they can be a crazy place. Come on, it's Run. 
whatever you're into. You're gonna have to answer for it. problem with this film is that as it opens its first you know 10 15 minutes you've seen a hundred well i've seen a hundred times you've seen a few times yeah you take a it, wrong turn and you end up in the badlands somewhere exactly yeah. backwoods yeah. Mm -hmm. you know who's that hillbilly type you know you're just listening for banjos and that's problematic but uh but right away the female lead sawyer you know she she fights back hard you know, and then that's impressive but even then i'm thinking to myself this is not enough to shake the rust if you will, from this storyline. Like, this is just still going to be so tired. But the truth is, Jen McGowan is a director. She does have a couple of very interesting thoughts that she's going to throw in here. And so uh, where you start to think what this film is doing is asking you to rethink the victim slash hero heroine of, you know, like a backwoods horror. It's really a thriller. It's not a horror film. Right. Well, I've got to think that's why. If you're going to do a movie like this, I've got to think as a director, you're saying, they know. Yeah. They know how well-worn this path yeah. is. So they've got to know, look, no, I'm going to bring something else to it. Right. So at least that came through. Well, the thing is that she has more than that happening because it, partway through the film, about, about maybe 20, 25 minutes in, you realize what she's really doing is not just asking you to rethink the victim slash heroine. It's asking you to rethink the hillbilly in a hillbilly thriller. Mm -hmm. And that, when she does that, uh, and the two leads get the chance to sort of, uh, you know, develop a, a relationship and a chemistry with each other and they do it in the most unusual of sort of pastimes like what it is they're physically doing at the time is very odd and appropriate that part of the film is absolutely fascinating the performances are great this sort of weird drug environment is so fascinating the problem is that it, it doesn't sustain the whole film there's too much going on outside before it and after it that it, it can't maintain the heights that it hits in that middle act but it's still the performances are good the the cinematography is absolutely beautiful mm -hmm. really really does a great job of of showcasing both kind of the the brutal terrifying aspect of of the Kentucky forest and also just the beautiful peaceful aspect sort of you know everything about it they do a great job with the cinematography it's just that it's it can't make it can't hold it the entire time. So I, I recommend it, but it's not a super strong recommendation. Mm -hmm. So a few coming out new this week and time to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. New on home video this week, the debut as a director for Jonah Hill, one that we both liked a lot called mid nineties, sort of a semi autobiographical story. Uh, that is centered around um, skate skate punks, yeah, I guess you'd yeah. call them. Skateboarders, LA skate punks, yeah. yeah. Uh, back in the mid-90s. And hey, I thought it was a really nice debut that showed some real fine instincts for Jonah Hill as a filmmaker. Yeah, and also I think that uh, the supporting cast, none of them were actors. What a great job they all did. Yeah. Yes. It's, and it's a really very uh, honest slice of life kind of a film. It was just enjoyable from beginning to end. Yeah, it seemed like not only a, a, a time stamp of the mid-90s, but but a place stamp mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously very personal for, for Jonah Hill. And it's funny, they came out just about the time as another documentary that we expect to be uh, nominated for an Oscar this year. Um Minding the Gap. Minding the Gap, which was also about these skate punks mm -hmm. in the 90s. So it's interesting they came out just about the same time. But, uh, yeah, we both liked mid-90s. One we didn't care for so much, Hellfest comes out 
uh, this week about some kids stranded with a serial killer in a big haunted, not really a haunted house, a big haunted attraction. Right. And that's the one thing I liked about the movie. The you haunted wanted to go. attraction looked cool. Yeah, it did. It really did. And the, the film is a straight up slasher. It's not It's not a meta slasher. It's not a, um, it's just a straight up slasher, which is to say that you know what's going to happen. You know who's going to get killed. You know, you can pick them off one by one. And I think the only way you can get away with that is if you really bring something fresh. And, and unfortunately, Hellfest doesn't ever do that. No, not at all. And also out this week, the debut as a filmmaker for Ike Barinholz, a guy we've enjoyed as an actor in a few things. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you'd recognize his face. Well, this is a, you know, it's an ambitious swing at mm-hmm. political commentary, mm-hmm. political satire mm-hmm. about something everybody dreads, getting together with your family at the holidays and talking politics. Right. It just, boy, it... It has good intentions. It has a pretty good setup. It's Ike and, and Tiffany Haddish right. as a married couple. They have to deal with the family. But boy, it paints itself into a it corner. Does. And the way it gets out is just too tidy. It, and lazy. Um, which is unfortunate. You know, it's it's very convenient ending. And 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 also, I think Tiffany Haddish is underused, mm-hmm. uh, a little neutered in this. Uh, and I always look forward to seeing her in films f- because she tends to be such a loose cannon. So I was a little disappointed there. But yeah, it's there's a lot of this is very smart and it's not super one dimensional. Like he, you know, he throws stones at no matter what your political affiliation. Yeah. And there's a lot of tension. It builds a lot of tension. But yeah, in the end, it just cops out. Yeah, I don't think it was entirely successful, but I think he does have promise. Definitely, as, uh, as a filmmaker. So we'll see what he does in the future. Looking forward next week, very much forward to Glass, the uh, third in the trilogy after Unbreakable and uh, Split for M. Night. And plus, you've reunited. You've got uh, Bruce Willis back with Samuel L. Jackson and James McAvoy with the new character in this who was so great in Split. So very much looking forward to talking about Glass next week. Also, one, a new one. I'm not really that familiar with it all called pledge yep new horror film nice and shoplifters speaking of oscar nominees this is this is another true contender for best foreign language film very true contender so we'll talk about that one uh as well next week so get in touch if you want to talk about any of the movies we've talked about uh, this week or looking forward to next week let us know you can always find us on twitter we're at mad wolf m-a-d-d-w-o-l-f you can find us on facebook and instagram it's mad wolf columbus the main website where you can find our written reviews and our other podcasts Fright Club for you horror lovers. We'd love to uh, hear from you as well. You can find that all at madwolf.com. And uh, until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.